Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Prophet, and many years before Jesus arrived on earth as a human, Isaiah prophesied that he was coming. Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For many years, the people did not know who Isaiah was talking about. Who was this voice calling in the desert? And then John the Baptist arrived and began to prepare the way for Jesus to come into the world. And he said in Matthew 3, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Today we light the Advent candle to remind us that Isaiah's words have come true. Christ has come, and yet we still see that all is not right in our world. Our aim during this Advent season is to remember his arrival as a baby and to anticipate his return one day. We long for this because we believe that when Christ returns, the old old order of things will finally pass away and we will be with the Lord forever. And when he returns, as Isaiah chapter 7 says, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with the righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor on earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. Let us pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to listen to their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
Well, good morning again, and thank you so much for joining us at Heritage today for the second Sunday of this Advent season. I want to give my gratitude to Dave and Kathy Sperry for leading our Advent reading and our prayer today. Many of you were here last Sunday and heard our explanation about the purpose and the meaning of the Advent season, but I am aware or familiar that for some of us, this is an unfamiliar concept. And so if the idea of Advent sounds new to you, let me reassure you that it's it's actually something that's very old because Advent is the season of the year in the global church when traditionally Christians have focused on anticipating the arrival of Jesus. Anticipating Jesus's arrival as a baby in the manger, thinking about that moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, but also anticipating Jesus's next arrival, the second coming that we anticipate together. And we're observing this season of Advent, this season of anticipation as a church family for a few reasons. One, because it helps to connect us to the global community of believers. There are Christians all over the world in every, in every place who are celebrating Advent this season, marking time this way during the month of December. But another reason that we're celebrating Advent together is because our tendency is to get wrapped up in the fast pace and the rush of this season. Everybody I talk to right now is just talking about how busy everything is and everybody's trying to find babysitters and everybody's trying to figure out how they can get to the company party and everybody's, we've got so many places to be. Our tendency is to get wrapped up in all of that and Advent helps us to slow down. Advent helps us to slow our spirits to reflect. Advent invites us to imagine what it was like for people 2,000 years ago who had been waiting and being promised for generations that there was going to be a Messiah born who would lead their people faithfully. Advent invites us to imagine what it was like for them to wait for Jesus. But then Advent also invites us to connect that feeling of ancient anticipation and to connect it with our anticipation of Jesus's arrival in our time, in our lives. And our challenge, our challenge is to maintain and even to elevate our level of, of anticipation and expectation, even if it seems like we've been waiting a very long time. Two summers ago, my wife and I and our kids got the opportunity to take a vacation trip to the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska, which for me was like the trip of a lifetime. We flew into Anchorage, we rented a car, and we spent the next eight days exploring places that these four native Texans could only imagine existing. You know, it was just unbelievable. And before we left, I made a call to some college friends who I knew had been living in Alaska ever since the time we were in college together. I wanted to ask them for tips about what were the things that we had to see. And I was particularly interested in their advice about the best methods, the best places, the best ideas for getting to see some Alaskan wildlife. I was really, really interested in that. And I remember my friends saying, they said, it's not going to be a matter of if you see a moose, it will be a matter of when you see a moose because they said they, the moose are all over the place when you're in that part 
of Alaska, and I was thrilled. Like, this was the best news ever to me. I was so, so excited about this. A moose was on the very short list of the top animals that I really wanted to see while we were there. And so I'm telling you, from the moment we pulled out of the rental car parking lot, like, I became a moose hunting annoyance to my family, right? Like, around every corner, I'm, we're in the drive-through at McDonald's, and I'm, like, looking around, you know, that kind of thing. Like, every corner we turned, I just knew that this was going to be it. Because as my friends had said, moose are everywhere. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I was trying to be ready for when. And so every corner we turned, every place we went, as far as the eye could see, I just knew there were going to be moose all over the place. And so I'm looking on the sides of mountains. I'm looking down in marshy areas. I'm, I'm looking for moose that might be swimming. You know, like I'm, I'm looking for moose everywhere. And day one goes by, and day two goes by, and we're traveling all over the place in these rugged rural areas. Day three goes by, day four goes by, and I haven't seen a moose yet. And I want to tell you, by the time we got to the fifth day of our trip, I was still hopeful, but my expectations were diminishing. You know what I mean? I was, I was kind of bracing myself for the idea that maybe, maybe my friends had told me wrong. I was bracing myself for the idea that maybe, maybe it just wasn't going to happen for me. Maybe I wasn't going to get to see a moose in the wild after all. And even though my Alaska friends had assured me that it was going to happen, that it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when, the further we drove without seeing a moose, the more difficult it was for me to believe that a moose might be around the next corner. The further I went without that expectation being met, the harder it was to keep my level of expectation high. And that reminds me that sometimes waiting requires endurance, doesn't it? I mean, there have been some moments in your life where you've been waiting on something spectacular to happen, waiting on some piece of news to come in, waiting on God to do something that you've been praying about. There have been moments in your faith story where you were waiting on God and it required endurance, right? It, it, it tests your stamina. It tests your tenacity. And the longer you have to wait, the harder the waiting can get. I remember I was a kid growing up in South Texas. My granddad would take me fishing out at the bay and we were usually fishing off of the end of a pier and so we would bait our hooks and we would cast our lines out there and then we'd wait. And my granddad taught me his preferred method for holding the fishing line just above the fishing reel, holding onto that line with my fingertips so that if a fish started to bite on that bait, I would be able to feel the tug. I would be able to feel that pressure with my fingers. But when I was a small boy with a short attention span, it seemed like it always took forever for a fish to bite, right? And so sometimes, sometimes I would convince myself a fish was biting. Sometimes whatever vibration happened, the wind, the tide, the current, anything out there that could be possibly making me feel something with my fingertips, I'd think, well, it's time to reel it in, you know, and I'd reel it in. And of course, all there is is just untouched bait on those hooks. But sometimes, sometimes I'd start to get bored. 
And I'd set my fishing pole in one of those rod holders out there at the end of the pier. And when I did that, when I wasn't holding the line between my fingers the way granddad taught me, I w when I wasn't l paying attention to see if a fish was nibbling on the bait, that's usually when the fish would come and just pick the hook clean. And I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the stamina. I didn't have the tenacity to sit there long enough, paying close enough attention so that I would be ready at the right moment. And today, as we continue this series of Advent messages, that's the struggle that we are wrestling with together. Our question is, how do we continue to live in anticipation of Jesus's return when it's already been so long in coming? When there have already been generations who expected that it would have happened in their day. How do we live in anticipation of Jesus' return when we have no idea when it might actually happen? It's hard to live in constant, a, a constant state of anticipation, isn't it? But this morning I want to show you a powerful, a powerful passage of Scripture where one of Jesus's dearest friends, his closest friends, explained to some Christians much younger than he how he himself dealt with the waiting. One of the last books in the Bible is a book, a, a letter that we call Second Peter. If you have a Bible with you or if you have the Heritage app and click on the Bible icon, you can join me in Second Peter chapter 3. We call this book Second Peter because the Bible contains two letters that are both signed by the Apostle Peter. And he was one of Jesus' early followers and a, a guy that played a prominent role in lots of the stories about Jesus' life on earth. And so when Peter writes this letter, 2 Peter, when he writes this, he's an old man. He's nearing the end of his journey. In fact, he talks about that in the letter, about how he knew that his time was coming to an end. And he says, I'm using the remaining time that I have left. I'm using my energy. I'm using my wisdom. I'm using my, my resources to try to persuade you younger Christians to not give up. At the beginning of 2 Peter chapter 3, he explains his purpose in writing this letter. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. We have the first one, it's called 1 Peter. This is now my second letter to you, he says. I have written both of these letters as reminders. He's like, I'm not telling you brand new information. I'm, I'm giving you these letters as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, and I want you to remember the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. See, Peter was particularly concerned about people who might forget. He was particularly concerned about people who might give up about people for whom the waiting got too long. Peter was concerned about the influence of people in the church who might get it in their minds that Jesus might not be coming back at all. In fact, Peter was already starting to see evidence that some Christian people, after a couple of decades of Jesus having ascended to heaven and not yet returned, Peter was starting to see evidence that some people were saying, I guess he's not coming. I guess everything he said about how he was going to prepare a place for us 
he didn't mean it, or we misunderstood it, or he was lying, or he didn't know what he was talking about, or something. Like people were starting to worry that maybe that promise wasn't going to come true. And as a result, some of these people started to feel as if they should just feel free to live in any way that they wanted to, because there wasn't going to be any accountability. There wasn't going to be any next stage of this story. Peter sees this happening. Second Peter chapter three, verses three and four. He says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Y'all, I searched high and low for a good synonym for scoffers because I know it's not a word we use very often and all the other ones seem just as confusing to me too. But it's somebody that mocks an idea, somebody that ridicules a concept. Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, which is to say for a long time now, everything just goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, Peter says, there are going to be people who are going to get impatient. And they're going to decide that they're done waiting for Jesus. And they're going to revert back to their old way of living. They're going to revert back to living for themselves and satisfying the appetites that they had before they ever became aware of God's will for their lives. Peter says, for some people, the waiting is going to get to be too much. It's going to get to be too long. They're not going to have the endurance. They're not going to have the attention span. They're not going to have the the tenacity to keep waiting for Jesus. And he says, they're going to be worse off than they ever were, worse off than they were before they heard of Jesus. Jesus because they found out the truth and then went back. And Peter doesn't want to see that happen to you. Peter doesn't want to see that happen to me. Peter doesn't want to see impatience have the opportunity to extinguish the flame of faith that God has placed in our hearts. Because Peter spent enough time with Jesus that he learned to trust him. Through thick and thin, High and low, Peter learned to trust Jesus. And he knows from his own experience, from his own life story, from his own faith journey, from his own moments of failure, when he failed at doing God's will and God still showed up and restored him, Peter knows that the suspense of waiting for Jesus is always worth the wait. Peter used to tell this great story I can't imagine the twinkle in his eye when he would tell the story about the time when he was working as a fisherman and he and his crew fished all night long and they didn't catch anything. Professional fisher people and they didn't catch anything. And they're discouraged and they're tired and the sun comes up, it's morning and they're back on the shore and they're cleaning all of their gear and they're kind of snippy with each other, you know, because it's been a hard long night and they don't have anything to show for it. And just as they get done cleaning up the gear, folding up the nets, getting ready to just tie up the boat and go home so they can go to sleep because they worked all night. Jesus shows up and asks them to put their nets out into the water one more time. Can you imagine after you've done all of the work, after you've done all, gone through all the effort of putting all of that stuff away, Jesus shows up and says, hey, let's go out a little ways and put the nets out one more time. And Peter admits when he tells this story, he admits that he didn't want to do it. He's like, this was a terrible idea. I was not in the mood, but he was worn out. And, and, and he, decided, he decided that just out of respect for Jesus, he would do it anyway. 
And no sooner had they deployed the nets off the side of the boat when they started catching more fish than they could possibly handle. In fact, they were hollering to the shore and trying to get other, other crews to come out there with their boats and help them to retrieve these nets. And it says that they caught so many fish, even with all of that help, even with all of those boats, even with all that extra capacity, the catch was so much that it was overwhelming their boats and they were taken on water. Can you imagine Peter telling that story? Peter knows that trusting Jesus, waiting for Jesus, is worth pushing through the fatigue. It's worth pushing through the restlessness. It's worth pushing through the discouragement. Peter knows that Jesus is worth the wait. And so here's his encouragement. Second Peter chapter three, beginning in verse eight. Here's the text I wanted to share with you this morning. He says, don't forget don't forget this one thing, dear friends. Now, this is a 2,000-year-old letter, but I want you to imagine he's, re- he's saying it to you. Don't forget, dear friend, that with the Lord a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years are like a day. Now, he's not making a scientific statement here. He's, he's quoting the Psalms. And he's reminding us that God is not bound by the limitations of time, that God is outside of time, that God created time. And so what seems slow to us only seems slow because of our limitations. In fact, Peter goes on to say God's pace is actually to our benefit. God's pace is actually for our blessing. He says in verse nine, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead. Now listen to this. Listen to this if you've ever had a moment when you felt like you were waiting on God to come and fix something. Listen to this if you've ever seen the news and thought, God, I need you to intervene in that situation. Listen to what Peter says. He says, instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Can you see how he's he's reframing our understanding of what's going on here? Because here we are, we're looking at the clock, right? Like we're watching, watching our watches and we're thinking, God, God, it seems like, seems like this has been going on. All this pain, all the evil, all the suffering, all this stuff's been going on a long time and we continue to watch the world struggle. We continue to watch evil rear its ugly head and we want God to come down and fix things and make things right and punish people that need punishing and all that kind of stuff. We'd like that to happen right now. And Peter says, the time for accountability keeps getting pushed back because of God's grace. He says it's because of God's patience Because God wants more people to turn away, to choose righteousness instead of evil. But he also says we shouldn't interpret God's patience as a sign of God's powerlessness. Verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
which is to say there is going to be a day when God deals with the brokenness and the evil in the world. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, he says. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now there's a lot of metaphor here, and if we had time, I could take you back and show you all the prophecies and all the teachings from earlier parts of the scripture where where this has been predicted and explained in other terms, but Isaiah taught the passage, the, the, the prophet that we read from last Sunday, Isaiah taught that God's ultimate plan is to purify the world, to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will be normative, where righteousness will be common, where righteousness will rule the day. And for those, so for those of us who put our trust in God, all of this talk about fire and destruction is not something to be feared. It's something to be eagerly anticipated. And if we believe that God's plan to purify the world, to rid the world of lasting evil, if we believe that that's coming, then it ought to impact how we live every day. And I wonder if you've given any thought to the way that you wait. I told you last week that in preparation for this series, I'm, I'm reading through these passages together with some other preacher friends who are preaching on these same topics during Advent. And this week, one of my friends talked about the difference between active waiting and passive waiting. Can you imagine the difference? Passive waiting is, is what's happening whenever the person in front of you in traffic is so absorbed on their phone that they don't notice the light has turned green, right? Like that's passive wait. They're waiting on the light to turn green, but they're not really actively waiting because they're busy with something else, right? Passive waiting is when the wait seems long enough that you can check out, that you can distract yourself with something else. But active waiting is different. Active waiting is when you keep checking the time. Active waiting is your kid in the back seat saying, are we there yet? right? Active waiting is when you're anticipating your loved one coming home from a plane trip and every time the door to the airport secure area opens, you're craning your neck to see if you can see them coming yet. Active waiting is my daughter counting down the days until Christmas day. Active waiting is the prodigal son's father staring at the horizon, hoping that there just might be some chance that today's the day that his boy is coming home. Active waiting is undistracted. It's focused. It's intent. It's watching for the arrival of that which we're waiting for. There's a song that we sing in this church, but typically in our second service that's called, Yes, I Will. Some of you have heard it on the radio and it reminds us of this powerful conviction because it's got a lyric in the, in the first verse that says, in the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. And that's what Peter is saying you can believe. He's telling us that God's slowness is a sign of patience and not powerlessness. 
That our anticipation of when Jesus will return, our anticipation of what's happening in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, that we're limited in what we can understand, but that God is at work. He's working all things out. And so Peter asks this great question. He says, since we already know that God has promised to purify the earth and do away with evil for good, since we already know that Jesus has assured us that he's coming back for us, since we already know that God keeps his promises and that God's never late, Peter asks this question. He says, since we know all of that, what kind of people ought you to be? What do you, how do you respond to that knowledge? How do you respond to that confidence? How do you respond in the waiting? How do you design your life? How do you spend your time? How do you use your resources? How how do you teach your children how to live their lives? Peter says, you wanna know what kind of people you ought to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. Look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So how are you waiting? How are you waiting for Jesus to return, to gather all of his people to himself? How are you waiting for God's ultimate redemption and repair of the world? Are you waiting for that passively? Like you're just going about your routine, doing your thing, acting the way that you would act on your own behalf and for your own interests. And if that, ha- if that day shows up, if that day happens, then so be it. It's not like you can stop it anyway, right? And so are you, are you waiting passively or are you waiting actively? Are you part of the progression, part of the anticipation, part of speeding its coming? Are you inviting God's righteousness that you long for so much to be a part of your today and not just a part of your someday. On day five of our Alaska trip, we were driving through more rural area and we came into this thicket, you know, it's kind of a, just a, a road going through the woods. And all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, I saw, I saw this movement. It was my first time to see a moose in, in the wild. And we sat and we watched it for a little bit until it made its way deeper into the woods and we couldn't see it anymore and I was fascinated but I want to tell you what else happened after that moose walked away moose hunter Brock was back (laughs) like I'm looking for moose everywhere because I know where there's one moose there's a bunch of moose right 
Like now I know that it's possible. Now I know it's real. Now I know that it's actually happened. I'm not going to leave this trip disappointed. Everything's only up from here. And so now once again, every, every corner we turn, every mountain we're looking at, every forest we drive through, I'm like, this could be it. I could find moose number two. And we did. We found a bunch of moose. I didn't get tired of seeing them, but, but, but we found a bunch. What happened was that my anticipation was renewed. One moment of connection, one moment of satisfaction in my hopes, one moment of seeing the, what was possible become reality. One moment of that just elevated my expectations all the more. It brought it all the way probably past where it was the first time. You know, like I was ready to see more moose. And what happened was my one experience of blessing, my one experience of awe, my one experience of thrill made me anticipate the next one. And so I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you in this season to use Advent in this very same way. Because it's one thing for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus, an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's one thing for us to celebrate something that's historic that's worth celebrating. It's one thing for us to commemorate a moment that happened generations and generations ago and to connect for ourselves all of the dots and all of the reasons why that's important for us. It's one thing to look backwards, but Paul, Peter is trying to tell us, use that experience. Use that story. Use my testimony. Use your walk with God and everything that's happened with you. Use that to help you live a godly life into the future as you look forward. He says, don't always just be looking back. Use what happened behind you to help you keep looking forward. I wonder if Advent could help you to renew your anticipation for what God might do in your life. You know, God's timeline can be confusing for us. God's timeline can be disappointing for us. But the fact that God's timeline is not ours to understand doesn't mean that God's not working all things out. In fact, the testimony of those who have gone before us in the faith says he's the God that's never late. And so I want to invite you during this Advent season to renew your anticipation of God's intervention in your life, to renew your anticipation of God's breaking into our world, to renew your anticipation that what God has promised and what God has planned is actually coming to pass. We don't have to doubt it. We can live in expectation and belief.